0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the CGF Sustainability Podcast with me, Louise Chester. In this series, we take a deep dive into all things sustainability, from forced labour to plastic waste and the circular economy, to food waste, forests and so much more. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to Katie Decker, Global President of Essential Health and Sustainability at Johnson & Johnson Consumer Health. I'm going to be talking to her about some of the different elements that make up the company's healthy lives mission to take better care of the planet and its people. So let's get started. Hi Katie, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. You're very, very welcome. It's a pleasure. So perhaps you could begin by uh, telling our listeners a bit about your Healthy Lives mission and how you've been working towards reducing the impact on the environment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I should say that this is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'll, I'll do my best to try to keep these answers you know streamlined and short, but, sure. but this has been a real labor of love over the last two and a half years. And I'm really proud of the work of our full end-to-end teams um, at Johnson & Johnson Consumer Health. So I, I have the pleasure of just representing a lot of people that have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into where we are. But our Healthy Life's mission Uh, We formalized that in 2020, so we're I guess we're coming up on our two and a half year birthday, and what we did there was we publicly committed to invest 800 million dollars by 2030 to ensure that our brands are increasingly recognized as healthy choices for both people and the planet. And so this 800 million that we're investing is behind more sustainable product portfolio, more sustainable um, operations and supply chain and within the communities within the people with which we serve and just to give you a little bit of a double click on that um, we're, we started off with eight leadership brands because you know when you make when you when you lead a movement right you can't just go ahead and do everything everywhere right at the beginning so we picked our eight biggest global brands that would have the biggest you know the biggest impact across the company to set examples for what for what this can be and then now we've we've expanded it across all of our brands across all of our regions, and so this includes things like social impact programs that advance human health, end to end product transparency across the whole value chain, uh, more sustainable packaging, and an increased reliance on renewable energy. So that's a bit in in a nutshell of our Healthy Life's mission.
0: Super, thank you. So. I know that Johnson & Johnson Consumer Health is a really active and committed member of our Plastic Waste Coalition of Action here at the CGF, and you've signed on to five out of our nine golden design rules. So I would love to hear more about what you've been doing in this area. Perhaps you could give me, Katie, a few examples of how you're progressing in sustainable packaging and reducing these problematic elements of of packaging.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I should say that we're finding huge value in in our, um, in that coalition the Plastic Waste Coalition and the design rules, the nine design rules really helped us, you know, think through. We, we'd signed already the Ellen MacArthur commitment and we were working towards that, but I feel like this was a great addition to that. It really started to channel and focus our organizational energy. Um, I can give you a couple examples of some some things we've already executed and we haven't. Sure. And there's many things to come. But on Listerine, um, we've, we've just finally rolled out um, Listerine bottles that, you know, they were already PET, but with 50% recycled plastic. And in order to ensure their recyclability, we added uh, our labeling with clean flake technology so that it comes off during the recycling process and doesn't leave a residue. And we switched out our black caps for clear caps. And so we've done this first in Europe, and it is now making its way around the world. Latin America is next. We're going to be following up with Asia and um, North America. So that'll be something that happens across Listerine. Um, another one that I'm I'm really excited about is what we've done on Johnson's Baby. And there's two big things that have happened and have hit that have are already at the shelves. One is. We've rem- we keep removing pumps from products, you know, the non-recyclable pumps. So already to date, we've removed more than 30 million of these from our wash and lotion products. Um, we've also launched refill formats on Johnson's and Aveeno Baby. So you you can, in Europe, those are the form of those uh, milk carton packages. Um, and we we kind of uh, look for ways to scale that around the world, working within the recycling systems of e- in each region. Um, and then another example I'd love to highlight is on Neutrogena, and this has to do with our, our wipes. You know, Wipes is a really, uh, it's a pretty large business for us, makeup removing wipes, and it's something that, that consumers really love, but we need to make sure uh, what happens to the end of life of those wipes. So we've launched our first plant-based home compostable cleansing wipe uh, that that degrades, I'm mean, sorry, that biodegrades in approximately 35 days in home compost. So we feel like that's a step in the right direction, but we'll never stop innovating there. Uh, those are a couple of examples of some things that have already happened and are, are already in market.
0: Brilliant. I, I love hearing these really tangible um, examples that. Any, any normal consumer could, could really understand. It really helps to translate those rules. So then staying on the topic of the rules, maybe you could give me some examples of what you're doing to tackle improved recyclability of your products as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, so you know, the first thing that we've done to improve recyclability is make sure that we're removing all the problematic elements from our packaging. And so this has, you know, anything unnecessary, anything in black plastic containers. So by the end of last year, by the end of 2021, we exited all black plastic containers, um, which we did actually have in our skin health and in our, our hair care brands. Um, and, you know, we also have um, made some changes in, you know, we sell um, swabs, ear swabs, um, earbud sticks, and now those previously had plastic in them, right? They were a plastic stick with cotton on either side. We've we've now gone through and we've upgraded all of them into um, paper-based format. So that was a big deal. Um, and then on top of that, it, looking at how we advance a value of our PET recycling, this has a lot to do with switching from opaque PET to clear PET. Um, and we, we've done this on many of our brands. Uh, one great example is on Listerine where we had a white bottle for our whitening skew, you know, that kind of went together with the benefit and trying to connotate kind of that at shelf, but we've, we've moved that to clear. Um, and we have that across uh, our Le Petite Marcier brand as well, moving all of those to um, clear or standard colors of PET. And then another example, which I really love, is substituting our PET G. So, you know, when we take the plastic and the glass and you combine them, those were very common in our um, our jars for our night cream on our Neutrogena business mm-hmm. and moving, switching that out with recyclable PET. Uh, the first example is with our Hydro Boost moisturizing gel jar. So, we're constantly looking uh, for alternatives and ways to ensure the recyclability. And we, we feel like we're We're headed in a great direction to try to hit that 2025 Ellen MacArthur goal of 100% of our portfolio being recycled, recyclable, you know, in full transparency, there are still areas of the portfolio that are technically challenging. And we, we, those are the ones that we really, you know, work on every day. And that's why I I get so excited about things like the Plastic Waste Coalition, because when industry can come together, you know, we can all talk, we all have these common challenges, right? Like, what are we going to do to work together to be able to remove some of these roadblocks Mm -hmm. as an industry?
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of those examples, really inspiring, hopefully it will be inspiring to people um, listening to hear about the innovations you have going on, and yeah, equally as important to share the the challenges and the the difficult spots, so thank
1: you very much. Um, And on that one, can I just build on one thing, because I feel like it's a challenge we all have, which is on design rule number six, Mm -hmm. which is increasing the recycling value in flexible consumer packaging. You know this is a this is a challenge for us. Um, I mean, think about like the wrappers that our our wipes come in, right? Those little pouches. Yeah. You know, trying to make that into a a mono material, it has been a challenge. It's something we are still really working on. We we're working with a couple of different um, suppliers on this, but I know it's something that the whole industry is working on you know, that would be an area where I think we still have real opportunity, this flexible, flexible packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too, that I, that, you know, I mentioned are refill packs on baby, but really trying to figure out reuse models, right. Across all of our businesses. Mm-hmm. And in addition to Johnson's baby, we also launched it on Le Petit Marcier. We also launched it on Avino, this refill at home idea. We've got a bunch of different types of alternatives out there in the market that we're looking to see you know, how, how does it land in market? And I know this is something that's common across all consumer goods companies. We're all trying to figure out, you know, we've done pilots on refill in store. We've got refill at home and it's kind of looking like we're headed in the refill at home direction mm. um, and having that be something that really takes over our, our portfolio. And the reason we love it is that, you know, it does use 90% less plastic than our single use bottles. Um, and so being able to constantly keep your base bottle and refill this stuff at home, we think that's the way things are, are are headed. But again, you know, back to the takes a village and the partnership, you know, so that we can all learn from each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And is there an element of consumer education in in that too?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a couple of value benefits. There's a couple of benefits in it for consumers, right? It, it's a, not only could it, could it end up being more of a value, right? Because mm because you can buy a little bit more in bulk and you're not having to continue to have more and more original packages, right? So we could, we could particularly in this like an inflationary period that we're in, not only could it be a value win for consumers, but it's a win for the planet, but that is an absolute behavior change. Mm-hmm. And I know all the brands across the companies are struggling with, how do you really message that? And I think it's gonna be a combination of, of brands and retailers coming together uh, to to be able to reframe what a usage experience looks like from consumers and to try to normalize refilling. Mm
0: -hmm. So just then shifting gears, Katie, because you're also a member of our collaboration for Healthier Lives Coalition of Action. And I know that as part of your Healthy Lives mission, healthy people is a real key component. Could you talk a bit about the initiatives that you're working on with regards to that?
1: Oh, I would love to, and I feel like this is this is an area where we feel like I mean, this is core to who we are at, at um, Johnson and Johnson Consumer Health. Is this healthy people area? I mean, healthy planet is incredibly important, and we will continue to do everything to ensure that our products um, are are sustainable, and they you know the idea would actually really be to leave leave everything better than how we found it, right. To be a little bit, to be more regenerative in our approach. The healthy people area though, is like really core to our DNA of what, what we're all about. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples here. And, you know, the context of all this is that healthy people rely on a healthy planet and it's an ecosystem. You can't have one without the other, right? So if you think about um, healthy individuals and communities, you know, need nutrition, food security, clean air, fresh water, those are all essential to life. And some startling statistics from the WHO that 12.6 million people globally die from environmental health risks annually due to poor sanitation, water, and air pollution reaching dangerous levels. So we need to change things now. So what does that mean for us and what can we do about it? So we've, we've really leaned into a couple of areas. I'm gonna take you through two of them today. Um, okay, the first example is on reducing the incidence of preventable skin cancers. You know, actually skin cancer incidence is on the rise. And we also know that the sun protection category is on the decline. So those, you know, those two things are likely linked, right? The more people don't practice sun safe behaviors, the more that that skin cancer rises and it really is highly preventable and treatable if caught early. So through, you know, Neutrogena has a really big sun care business. So this is why, and and we know that this is one of the things that can be prevented. And so we wanted to lean in and figure out from a public health perspective what could we do to raise awareness? And so what we did was we created um, a documentary that was focused on elevating the awareness and understanding of skin cancer for all skin types and colors. And so, you know, what was exciting about this is, you know, not only did it talk a lot about sun safety habits like seeking shade, wearing protective clothing, increasing the use of sunscreen. Um, it also followed seven families. And these families were at different stages with melanoma. You know, some, some were early in the process and hadn't really had anything happen, maybe had some precancerous lesions, and some were far down the path. And so it it interviewed these people, followed them a little bit on a journey, and it, it also emotionally talked about what they wish they had, what they wish they knew, what they would do differently, how this is impacting their life. And when you watch people go through this, it really connects with the the heart and the mind about, I need to be doing something differently. And I need to also be taking care of my family in this way and make make this much, much, much more important because just small little steps every day can make a really big impact in your long-term health. And in order to bring this to life in the documentary, we partnered with a dermatologist, Dr. Shirley Chi. And so a lot of these stories were her patients. And so she's featured prominently in there and and she's able to not just, you know, talk about the patient journey. She, she also does a parallel of what's going on in her life with her kids and how she's handling it in her family. And then, you know, you see a little bit of her medical practice through the process. It, it, you know, it it makes it, it really, really, really brings it to life. So we are really lucky to work with, with Dr. Chi and, you know, this documentary is on YouTube today. It's called in the sun. Um, We've had, I think over 10 million views considering it's 45 minutes um, and you know that's that's really good. We've also been able to partner with um, with schools, and so showing it in health classes and um, in, in different places. This is right now a U.S. focused program, but we're looking at what can we do to take this idea and bring it globally. And also, what what's exciting about it is this concept of how you mix public health and entertainment. How can we take that concept and also apply it into some of these other areas like smoking cessation? Uh, with our Nicorette brand, and we established a pr- public-private partnership with the World Health Organization's Access Initiative for Quitting Tobacco. Um, and what was interesting, and we don't we don't distribute Nicorette today in Jordan or the Philippines, but we were able to get um, you know access there, uh, and that helped. It led to 10,000 smokers um, in those markets quitting through frontline education and support, including the donation of more than $1.5 million worth of Nicorette patches. This partnership, you know we did this during the peak of the COVID pandemic where we know that smokers had an increased risk um, and they had lack of access uh, to smoking cessation therapies in countries with very high smoking rates. So that, that's another example of you know, trying to use our brands for good uh, to make a public health impact.
0: Thank you, Katie. So, so interesting to hear about the topic and the fantastic work you're you're doing in that area. So just wanted to circle back to something we mentioned earlier, um, I think when we were talking about plastic specifically. But obviously, every company uh, faces, everyone working on these topics faces challenges. So perhaps we could dig into that a little bit more and you could tell me about some of the challenges that you you have been facing and um, uh, whilst, you know, moving forward on your healthy lives mission? And how have you been able to overcome them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I, I said before, you know, no one company or organization can do this alone. And that's why, you know, all these partnerships with our industry peers, NGOs, suppliers are incredibly important. There there are a couple that um, that I'm really proud of, that we're part of, in addition to our, the CGF, um, community that we're part of and the coalitions we're on. Uh, one is this new Eco Beauty Score Consortium, which is an industry-led collaboration to help consumers understand the environmental impact of cosmetic and personal care products. You know, this is a really big issue for, for the future, right, of when everybody's trying to and with their purchases of things that are good for the health of the planet and people. How do you not create multiple competing systems to evaluate things? Like You know, we've all, like, think about SPF. We've all agreed on what SPF is. And so you don't have to argue or think or stress about not understanding, you know, uh, you know, is this a 20? Is it a 35? What kind of of coverage is it going to give me? And there's not multiple different scales that you have to, like, convert across. That's what we need to do here. And that's the whole point of the Eco Beauty Score Consortium. So this was initiated by L'Oreal, Hinkle, Unilever, and Natura. and, And now we're proud to be part of it. We're we're piloting on select products in the EU um, by the end of 2022. And the whole idea is it's this common environmental footprint assessment and standardized consumer-friendly communications to inform consumer purchasing decisions. So that's really exciting. The second second group that we're part of is the New Plastics Economy Global Commitment with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And so we went and committed that by 2025, we'll reduce our total virgin uh, plastics usage uh, by 25% compared to 2020, and we're going to achieve that through a combination of increased use of recycled plastic, plastics packaging reductions, and more reuse and refill models. So those are some of the ways that we're we're trying to tackle the hurdles is through collaboration um, with outside uh, outside um, you know outside of our four walls of our company. Now within the four walls of our company, one of the areas that we continue to push forward on is bringing everyone along with us, right? Because if you think about the impact that that, um, our company will have on people on the planet, it's really the sum total of every small decision that everyone that works there makes, right? You have to be looking through a sustainability first mindset, and that's going to get increasingly important as we move through time. And so just constantly reminding, refreshing modeling behaviors, putting out there what good looks like, making big examples of work that teams are doing that are getting traction as ways to motivate, rewarding, recognizing you know teams for, for decisions in the right direction. So all of that stuff working together helps motivate the organization to make the decisions in the right direction that help us make progress on all of these commitments that we've made externally. So that's another another piece. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call that a challenge, but I would call that a something that we need to be mindful of every single day to continue to keep the organization behind us. Because there, there are so many things we could do, but if we want to make progress in certain areas, we've got to channel our collective thinking, you know, into that direction.
0: Yes, absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I, I loved that you called it the sustainability first mindset. That's is that is that an internal thing that you call it at, at Johnson and Johnson Consumer Health? or was that, that is an internal thing. That we're tra- okay,
1: <laughs> we're trying to start we're trying to start it. Yeah. Right. We, we've just recently started talking in that way as a way to get everyone to think through, mm-hmm. you know, if you over time, you know, we've been trying to think about, you know, efficacy and you know, is are is this going to deliver the claim that we're making? And is it safe? Is it high quality? All of those things that are part of, of what has to happen to bring something to market. But now we need to add that additional lens and make sure that we're always looking at it, sustainability first, and then putting all those other things around it.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So let's finish up then on a, a slightly more personal question, Katie. I like to ask people this on the podcast. So in in your personal life, what do you do to to lead a healthier and perhaps more sustainable
1: life? Oh, wow, that's a good one. You know, in in coming in and being much more aware of um of the impact of small decisions, like I was just talking about, you know, the impact of small decisions in your in your daily work life, you know, and and you know. If, when I first started becoming aware of this, because I'll admit I was a late bloomer to this space. I didn't really start thinking about this very seriously until 2019. And once I became, once my eyes were open, it's like, you can't unsee it, right? And I went through this phase of watching everything on Netflix and on Amazon Prime or any documentary, you know, about climate change, about the impact of plastics, about, you know, on health and the planet. And once you become more aware of that you start putting this into practice at work, you, you sort of start naturally putting it into practice in your own life because you're aware. And so what I would say is as a family, because I started to try to bring my kids along with me as I was watching these documentaries, we started off making small little changes. And I feel like those are the things that start to stick because you're not going in and you're not just wholesale trying to change everything all at once, but these small little steps. So for example, you know the first thing we did is we stopped buying things with pumps, right? So anytime we see something with a pump, actually we don't buy it. Um, We replaced all of our, just something simple, like our hand soaps with glass containers that we are now refilling all the time. Um, We bought a soda stream because we were, I was realizing as I was taking out the recycling, just these volumes of, of cans of, of seltzer. And it's like, well, this is a huge amount of waste. I get it. Aluminum is highly recyclable, but why even bother to create that? So we bought a soda stream. We make our own seltzer. So That's a small little change that you know that everybody in the in the family went through and did. Um, we also started to be, you know those were probably the first two things. Then we started to be a lot we got a composter during covid, right? We because I was reading about this, so we have a little composter so we put all of our uh, food waste scraps now and we actually named named the composter. Her name is Betty and we go out there and we spin it around and everybody has a has a job. We have to take the stuff outside to do that. Um, so that was another thing. And then, and that was actually quite easy. It's something you can order on Amazon. It was very inexpensive. Um, it, it takes okay, very okay. little maintenance. I thought that that's a cool thing that everybody know. Mm-hmm. Could, could incorporate. Right. And then, um, you know, now what we're doing is we're paying a little bit more attention into the sourcing of the things that we buy. Like, where are they coming from? You know, how are these things grown? You know, looking at more sustainably sourced you know, yesterday we were just looking at seafood and trying to figure out like, how can you buy wild-caught, Stanley source, you know, fish, for example. So we're just, it's like little by little. And I'm starting to see that it gets easier when your personal values are starting to align with the values of, of what you're doing every day at work. And those things come together. So those are some examples, you know, a- apart from the the usual stuff, like exercising and trying to get eight hours of sleep and all of that, just yeah. a little bit healthier.
0: Yeah, the ongoing challenge. Well, I really, really resonated with all of that. Well, first of all, it sounds like you are absolutely well on your way um, in your household. Very inspiring. We're trying. Yeah, you've given us some tips there. Um, And yeah, definitely resonated with the Netflix binge of documentaries. I feel like that's what also inspired me to work in in sustainability. Um, (laughs) So Thank you, Katie, so much. We've come to the end of the questions. I've really enjoyed talking to you today, and it's just been so good to hear all about your healthy lives mission. You've given us some really great concrete examples of implementation of the golden design rules, which really helps to bring them to life and so so interesting to hear everything that you've got going on 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 health of people as well um, as we know people and planet they really come together so um thank you thank you so much Absolutely. It was a pleasure. thank you so much i really appreciate it thanks for having us if you would like to find out more about the consumer goods forum and our work on sustainability you can visit our website at www.theconsumergoodsforum.com If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast for more episodes coming very soon. Thank you and bye for now.